0: welcome welcome you're listening to season six of oh my travel podcast a travel podcast that highlights women people of color and our travel community i'm your host janine aka the wild explorer and i'm your co-host martha aka martha gets it. we have a great episode for you today so let's go Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Martha and I have a very special guest on the podcast. We have Megan, who is a marketer, photographer, and journalist, and we're so excited to have her on because we've been um, Instagram friends, and Megan's awesome and gonna share some really cool things with us. So Megan, please share with our listeners a little bit more about you.
1: Yes, absolutely. Firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here. I'm so honored. Um, I absolutely love your work. I love what you're doing to elevate women's voices and, you know, the inclusive uh, community. Um, And so I'm very honored to be here. So thank you for that. Um, Yeah, a little bit about me. So my name is Megan Zink. I work full time in demand generation marketing, which is kind of a fancy way of saying email marketing. I oversee a team at a a software company called Review Trackers. I love it. It's like a I say it's a mature startup. I have always kind of been in that startup world, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, in my spare time, I have uh, two travel websites, one called moderately excited.com, one called colored curiosity.com. Um, the color and curiosity is actually a newer project, kind of a pandemic project, if you will, and it aims to allow people to tap into travel as an ongoing and experiential learning tool. Um, and I actually have really uh, started in, kind of in investigating the psychology of travel and then how we can make it more accessible to students um, all over. Uh, I am a published photographer. I have actually had a book cover on a Penguin Random House book called My Father Left Me Ireland by Michael Brennan Doherty, which was, I thought I was being punked. It was wild. <laughs> Uh, I, I love speaking, um, I did improv at Second City in Chicago for a while, and I have been super fortunate to travel, so I just kind of, I always, when I was younger, I wanted to be National Geographic photographer, um, I think I'm doing my best living that dream simultaneously while still doing the things I love, which I love marketing too, so um, yeah, I love getting active outside, uh, astrophotography, which I know we'll talk a little bit about, I love stuffing my face. Basically, if I can eat it and I can learn about it, then I'm good. I
0: love all this. You, you're so well-rounded and we love that you love food because um, Martha and I love food. Yeah. That is one of the main reasons why I think that I travel is just yeah. to eat more.
1: Oh, 100%. <laughs> so my husband and I actually, I dubbed this. So we call them food ventures. And That's basically what we do. We just like are kind of aimless, but we know that eventually we'd like to eat something. So we basically like structure a lot of our activities around eating. Amazing. Love that.
0: (laughs) Martha and I want to segue real quick into our icebreaker game. Um, I don't know why I'm calling it a game. It's a game though, right, Martha? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a game. So I know we already, you know, started to get to know you a little bit, but we want to get to know the real you, you know, um, so mm-hmm. that's why we want to play this fun little icebreaker. So are you into it? I love it. Let's go. All right. All right. So, um,
1: it's a, this or that. So I love this or that it makes my life so much easier because I'm a pretty indecisive person. So. <laughs> oh my God. Tell me about it. It's
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So no in-betweens you got, you got to pick. All right. Yep. Yep all right europe or asia oh europe <laughs> um this is gonna be hard <laughs> okay okay um disney or pixar
1: uh disney
0: soft cheese soft cheese or hard
1: cheese i don't know why this makes me laugh Oh uh, this is i all the cheeses but uh i'll go with soft cheese just for the the sake of the game <laughs>
0: you know they're they're spreadable they're they're, they're yeah
1: <laughs> um
0: appetizer or dessert appetizer especially if it's fried cheese Ooh, <laughs> right here! i love it i love it all right nights in or nights out
1: nights out nights out so wh- where are you going Oh man, well, you, any, I love outdoor patios. Um, I think that the whole outdoor movement during the pandemic, I hope it sticks around, at least in Chicago, I hope it does. Um, so you probably like the river walk for a glass of wine, something like that. Nice. Um, blonde or brunette? I've been all over the spectrum. <laughs> I'll say blonde because that's where I'm at right now. <laughs>
0: all right. Um, desert picks or mountain picks?
1: Mountain Picks.
0: Millennium Park or Navy Pier? Oh,
1: Millennium Park.
0: (laughs) Love that. We had to throw a Chicago one in for you. I will
1: say, I'm going to just say that Navy Pier did a really good job of not being its uber touristy self. Like it really stuffed its game up and rebranded itself, but I'm still going to go with Millennium Park. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Love that. And you do so much. Oh my gosh. How do you even find the
1: time? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think it all comes down to time management. Um, I, you know, when I think about the free time that I have, I'm constantly trying for better or for worse. I'm always trying to optimize things so that I can do the most with the time that I have. And um, so, you know, that might be listening to a podcast. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm like dictating my blog posts as I'm walking, but I once learned about that, and I was like, well, that would save a lot of time. So, for me, it's all about working smarter, not harder. I like to do a lot of like repurposing of things, which I think comes from my marketing background and content marketing. And honestly, the other piece of it is that I don't find time for all of it, and I want to be really clear about that. I have gone through a couple episodes of burnout where you know I just I love trying new things, learning new things, achieving new things, and so it can be a pretty epic disaster for if I'm not listening to my body. So I've really started to learn how to listen and see the signs ahead of time before things get really bad. Um, and I think that that's just something that I really want to be upfront about. The other thing is. I have Crohn's, um, which is an autoimmune disease. It's where kind of the immune system goes haywire and uh, identifies the lining of my intestine as a foreign body. And <laughs> it's catalysted by stress. I mean, that can be one of the triggers. So, I, you know, once I started realizing that I really had to keep a handle on my stress levels, um, that really changed the way that I approach things. So, I would say I, I don't find time for all of it at the same time. Um, I, I try to prioritize as best I can and when I need to take my foot off the gas pedal I have gotten a lot better at doing that
0: it's all it's all about balance and um it sounds like you're really ambitious which I feel like I'm very ambitious as well but yeah it's like some days you just you can't do everything and um that's awesome um All right. So we know you love photography. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about was astrophotography, which you do amazingly, by the way, Um, totally blown away, blown away by your photos. And I mean, who doesn't love the stars and (laughs) all of that? So we just want to kind of get into that and, you know, talk a little bit more. Maybe you could kind of give our listeners a rundown if they're not familiar with the term astrophotography. Um, we'll start with there.
1: Absolutely. So it's interesting. I, I like to call it, so I guess technically it is astrophotography. I think the like more common name for it could be night sky photography sometimes I feel like when I do research on astrophotography, you get a lot into like photographing celestial bodies. So that is not, <laughs> that's not where I'm at. I don't have like a special telescope to do it. I don't, I can't take pictures of like planets, but but I do love taking the larger scale night sky. And so I have always really been passionate about landscape and nature photography, as well as journalistic documentary and photography. Um, I love, you know, taking, I I actually have been reflecting upon this a little bit. And when I was younger, I used to not be really as afraid to like ask people permission to take photos and things like that. Now I just, for whatever reason, have gotten kind of stuck in my own weird bubble. And I tend to gravitate away from people, which I'm starting to realize is kind of a, you know, I, I want to capture the humans of a place. So I'm going to try and get back into that. But with the landscape photography, I was, you know, as you do, you see a bunch of different things that you like on Instagram, social, um, maybe even in National Geographic. I was, I did an adult thing two years ago. I, I uh, subscribed to National Geographic officially myself. So bravo. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I've really come into adulthood, um, <laughs> but it's, it was always something I was super fascinated by. and. I would just see these breathtaking images of landscapes with, um, you know, in, in just different information in the foreground, the background. So, um, for the listeners, astrophotography, yeah, it, it kind of encompasses all of that. So, I would say I'm probably on the night sky photography side, though, astro is just a really nice, like, umbrella term for it. So, yeah, it's, it's photographing the celestial bodies, night skies. Um, I love the Milky Way. I'm very, Obsessed with it, (laughs) and so I kept seeing all these breathtaking images, and I was like, "Man, I want to, I want to try that. I want to maybe do it." Well, living in downtown Chicago isn't very conducive to (laughs) night sky photography. Um, We have a lot of light pollution, and so over the pandemic, my husband and I were going to visit family in California. And you know, as having an autoimmune disease and not really knowing what was going to happen. Like, let's say if I got it, like I, you know, honestly, this past year has been really hard because I love travel so much and I've never been faced with something that kind of dictated what I could or couldn't do. And so this pandemic really kind of, it swept me, you know, the rug from under my feet and it made me be like, oh my gosh, I am not invincible. I am mortal. And I could, possibly die from getting COVID. Like, I don't even know. So I wasn't comfortable flying. So we did a road trip, which actually was kind of wonderful. And we stopped in Colorado. We also stopped in Utah. And so I was like, okay, if we're going to these places, I had been looking at a map. Um, So you can actually look if you type in light pollution map and also international dark sky association. So uh, I believe it's IDA.org you can find out a lot about dark sky areas that might be close to you, depending on where you're listening from. And to be quite honest, if you look at the US, basically the Midwest to the Eastern seaboard is all lit up like a Christmas tree. Like there's, there's no, there's really not a lot of dark areas. And as soon as you start going West from like the Midwest, it gets significantly darker. And so I'd always known that um, they, I'm pretty sure I did, like I said, I did a lot of research. And so they measure this off of, I believe the Bortle scale and I'm pretty, sh- I don't know which side of the spectrum is like darker and lighter, but it's called the Bortle scale. And so I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, if there are any route places along our route that are dark sky parks. Well, there's tons of them in Colorado and Utah, and even when you're getting into California, Nevada, I mean, there's literally nothing out there, so you can get some really impressive night sky shots, so I did a boatload of research. I had to figure out, so the, the difference between regular photography, night sky photography, is that you need a special lens. Um, you need something that opens, the, the aperture opens real, really wide, so that it lets as much light in as possible so that it can pick up the very faint light that stars and celestial bodies give off. So um you're looking at probably a it's like a I think mine's a one, two point four. I think two point four is like three and possibly four, you might be able to get some stuff. But I think once you get down to 2.4, it's real good. And then like 1.8 is really, really good. And that's just talking about how wide your aperture is opening. Um, I'm probably butchering all the technical aspects of that right now, but you basically need a a lens. Um, I did a lot of research because I didn't want to totally break the bank with something where I didn't know if I was going to be successful or not. And so I found a good medium. Um, I have a Rokinon, which is Rokinon and Samyang are the same brand. Um, I believe in the United States Rokinon and then outside the United States it's Samyang. And I'm happy to share any more information with people if they're interested, but it was just a good starter lens because again, I just wasn't sure if I was going to stick with this and if I was going to even be able to do it. So I, I practiced, I got onto a lot of social media communities, Facebook. um, And I basically just started learning about how to set up my shots. And I think the most valuable thing that I learned was also settings to use so if you get into a lot of those communities people will post their photos and then they'll also post like their their shutter speed what their aperture was at um, their ISO ISO value and all of those things so that kind of allowed me I basically took a bunch of notes and I was like okay I'm gonna start here and then we'll just see what happens and so I the other thing, that is really important with astro or night sky photography is being patient about weather conditions. And so if there are, I mean, clouds will give you a wonderful shot. Like it will give you some interest, but it's also, if it's raining or snowing, you're probably not going to get much of anything. Um, I have found the hard way you have to look for the moon and when the moon rises. So you might be in the summer when there actually is a moon, not a new. So, new moon is when it's like pitch black. It's basically there's no moon, uh, and then a full moon is obviously very bright and full. So, you can shoot when there is a moon, but it just depends on when the moon rises, and because it will create a lot of ambient light for you. And then the other thing I learned the hard way is in the winter. It is really difficult to get shots unless there is a complete new moon, depending on where you are, because light bounces off of the snow and it really doesn't help you much at all. Um, so there's a couple of different factors. I started looking at, I believe it's a meteorologist's uh, sky website. So I, w- I started getting really into figuring out what the precipitation was gonna be. When we went to Colorado, I had to be super patient. I couldn't try anything because there were wildfires and there was smoke and there was clouds and then there was snow. And so finally, long, lo and behold, we get to Moab, Utah. It is crystal clear, and I'm just messing around. I'm like, well, let's see if this works or not. And it was, it was like I was hooked. I was just, the first shot I took. I it was there's tons of clouds but you could see this little tiny speckle of the Milky Way. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. Like (laughs) it was just the most gratifying thing because I had done so much research and I just also wasn't really sure if I was going to be able to do it. And it was a complete new territory for me and it happened. And so I just, everywhere we go now, I'm like, is it, can it be dark enough for me to take some night sky shots? Um, and so I've, I've really embraced it. I've really gotten into it. I will say, I really recommend checking out the International Dark Sky Association. So light pollution is a huge issue and it, it's only getting worse. It can affect the migratory patterns of animals. It can affect the food chain. It can affect insects and them you know, living or not. And that can really have a chain effect on You know, chain reaction effect on a lot of the the animal and life life as we know it. So, um, I've really started getting interested in dark sky advocacy, and I recommend people do as well. And so, I want to be upfront because I just recently kind of learned about this. Um, I was watching International Dark Sky on Instagram Live, and there's another uh, female photographer named Betty Maya Foot, and she was talking about how she doesn't really use light painting in her shots, which is basically using light sources to do cool things in your photos. And um, when I was shooting in Arches National Park and in Colorado, when I was in Arches National Park, um, we went to a really back remote area. There was nobody around us. So I wasn't disrupting anybody else's photos, but I will say like using light painting, she kind of changed my perspective about this, because um, I do have a couple of photos with my headlamp on. Um, and I have one where I'm holding my phone. And that was at our our, uh, our Airbnb rental. So I was completely by myself as well. But I, I want to put it out there, like light painting, you really have to be careful of who's in your vicinity, you don't want to ruin shots for other photographers. And you also want to set a good example. Um, and so light painting is not you know, when you're talking about light pollution, it's not the best. So just putting that out there really changed my perspective um, of doing certain shots like that. I would, and if I do, I would, you know, want to be really careful that nobody's around me. Um, But it's been such a cool journey and I am just getting into it a little bit more. And, you know, when I was doing all the research, I was looking at equipment and all of these like, like how to's and, I have to say it's a pretty male dominated industry. And so I was just surprised. I was like, oh, cool, another guy. And nothing to them, they were very helpful. I, I really loved all their content, but it was like, cool, another guy that's going out camping and you know, he's driving his four-wheeler. And I'm just like, I just don't feel like I'm represented here like <laughs> that much. Um, And so actually, International Dark Sky Association, I believe, started an account called Women in Astrophotography, which I just found a couple of weeks ago, and it's pretty awesome. Oh,
0: that is really cool. Um, We appreciate you representing. (laughs) Um, I mean, photography in general is kind of male dominated, right? And that's interesting that astrophotography is as well. I feel like yeah. most things are male dominated, like to be honest.
1: Yeah, I I will say that. I mean, I, I do know, I I feel like maybe it's just kind of a, who I choose to, to surround myself with, but I, you know, it is true the, the the photography industry is pretty male dominated and there are organizations out there which are pretty awesome, like um, girl gays who are working to get women, you know, equal pay in the industry and, and help them get gigs and things like that. So yeah, it was really neat to be able to find that um women in astrophotography account, which is pretty awesome. And yeah, it was honestly, it was, it's so interesting because when you tech part of tech part of photography is really about your eye and your um the setup of and the and the layout of your photos. And the other piece is the technical piece and i've never really been that good at the technical piece i've always just kind of been intuitive in my approach and so that's where i think maybe i felt intimidated and discouraged because it seemed like i had to know a lot about the technicalities but i basically just started learning from other people and looking at their examples and then people would be like oh my gosh you you took that photo and it's like well yes, I did. I did a lot of the legwork, but then I just kind of feel, you know, the camera does all the work. So it's like, I guess it was a lot of preparation on my part, but it's, it's something I laugh at sometimes.
0: Girl, you did the work. The camera <laughs> yeah. Do it. The camera is a tool. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Thank you.
1: It I appreciate credit. That.
0: <laughs> Yeah. But no, we appreciate everything that you've been sharing so far. And, um, We wanted to have you on because you're not someone that's been doing it for like many years. We want to teach people that you can learn things at whatever stage in life you are and at whatever level of, you know, photography you are. If if it's something that you're interested in, it's really easy to find the resources out there and, you know, put them into play and and learn because you didn't get into this until pretty recently and you've already had some amazing photographs.
1: So we love that. Um, Well, thank you. I, yeah, I cannot, I cannot reiterate that enough. I, I honestly, I did feel like that. I was like, man, you know, I have been in the game for a while, but I just don't feel like you could probably teach a new, you know, an old dog new tricks, but you totally can. It was just a matter of just trying it. But also I'm, you know, I'm privileged in the fact that I could spend money on the equipment and things like that too. Of course. Yeah.
0: I wanted to ask, when I first saw your astrophotography pictures, I read it as astrology photography and I was (laughs) blown away. I was like, what? How is she doing this? But then I reread um, (laughs) and I and I but I learned about this through you. So I wanted to ask, where have you taken um, night sky photos and where has been your favorite place to shoot so far that you've discovered?
1: Yep. That's a great question. So like I said, now I'm just always on the lookout and um, I think it's darksky.net. I'm probably misquoting that, but there's a a map of all these dark sky places, dark, dark sky designations, dark sky parks all over the country. And they have to go through a lot of rigorous like certification and their light systems have to be up to standard and they have, have to be a certain place on the Bortle scale and all, all that. Um, so I'm looking, I'm always looking for those. I will say, so when you think of astrophotography, typically most people are doing it out West. Um, but there are some places like, for example, Door County, Wisconsin actually has a designated dark sky park, which is super cool. Um, I tried to take photos there but unfortunately didn't realize that I had aligned my trip with a full moon so it was like not a possibility Um, but I did try some in Lake Geneva when there was that really bad cold snap I mean I can't believe I did this it was probably it was like negative 10 degrees and I got these special gloves where you can like take the fingers off and I have I got in my car basically every single time because the shots take like 30 seconds to process. So I did that. So that was cool. But I have to say that my favorite place is probably Arches National Park because it was the first time I really attempted it and I just didn't even know what to expect. And so to be able to have felt that accomplishment there and in Moab was pretty cool.
0: Ah that's amazing. No. I I love Moab there's and I love arches. It's <clears throat> excuse me. I feel like it's just such a, an accessible park.
1: Yes. Like, it was so manageable and I lo- I we were going to do we just only had like a night or two so we didn't get to some of the other ones. We didn't we just drove through Zion. We unfortunately didn't get to check it out that much, but I'm totally planning on going back. I can't wait. I love it. Um, that's
0: interesting that you um, pointed out that a lot of the astrophotography um, kind of takes place more out west. I, I didn't even know that. And um, yeah, it, so are there more dark sky places out west, or is it? Yeah.
1: Weathers? I would say so, but the thing that is pretty cool and the reason why I say check out the map is because there are places, I think when people think of dark sky parks, like that's just the general area where there tends to be a lot because there are a lot of remote places away from major cities, but if you can get a far enough away from a major city, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to see some celestial bodies um, like, for example, Galena, Illinois, which is such a cute town, it's it was actually a fun fact, the site of the first official mineral rush in the US. So even before the gold rush, they were people were rushing there for uh, Galena, which is a product, it's, I believe, and a, it makes up lead, I'm fairly certain it's a mineral. And uh, I think Ulysses S. Grant lived there, too. But um, they just got a, a dark sky designation. So it can be anywhere. Like, honestly, I would definitely check out a map and just kind of look at the readings of the Bortle scale and the map is color coded. So it makes it really easy to understand. So again, if you just go to Google and type in like dark sky map or like light pollution map, you'll be able to find them.
0: Amazing. Um, you had mentioned the Milky Way and, um, I think a a lot of people who have probably seen um astrophotography photos probably saw a milky way photo and how amazing it is to like capture that but there's only a certain time of year right that it's a you know that we could actually see it on the northern hemisphere do you want to kind of talk about capturing the milky way and yeah. All
1: that. <laughs> yeah. So that's good job. Cause I, yeah, I think technically it's like Milky Way season. Um, I'm, yes, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if you like 100% can't see it during other times, but I know that primarily you'll see it during March from March to October. I'm fairly certain it is. Um, and I use this app called Photo Pills, which is a pretty minimal price. I think it was like 10 bucks or something like 10. Yeah, it was like $10. I use photo pills too, it's only one time. (laughs) Yes, and my favorite thing is that there is this augmented reality um, where it basically looks at the scene that you're seeing. Like if you were to turn on your camera and then it will superimpose the the sky over it so that you can actually see where the Milky Way will be if you want to try and plan out the way that your shots are gonna look. Um, So that can assist you in photographing the Milky Way. But yes, there is kind of a a pretty specific time frame. The other thing is that there is actually, and I haven't dug enough into this research, but there is a lot of factors that can play into like how many stars you'll see. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with light. Like sometimes if it's colder, I'm pretty sure that you can see things better because there's less moisture in the air, there's less haze. Like, like fog can roll in like the wildfire smoke can blow it like there's all kinds of different factors that actually play on visibility too.
0: who knew there were so many details (laughs) that go into (laughs) being able to see the sky. Because I know that I'm sure many of us have been guilty of just seeing like a really beautiful night sky and super clear and you just put your phone up or try to snap a picture with your camera. And then you get nothing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and you're probably, like, why <laughs> that's probably just because the aperture, I, and actually I will say you can, you can see stars on just an iPhone. Um, and it's really like, it's possible. Absolutely. But, um, you're going to definitely see more, the larger your aperture goes. And that really just has to do with like the technical makeup of the equipment.
0: Right. So if anyone is listening right now and they're like, oh my God, I love how Megan captures the sky. I want to do this, but maybe they don't have, I don't know, maybe they just have minimal um, equipment. Um, Like, let's just say like a starter type DSLR camera. How would you kind of start setting up like what gear should you get first and, you know, kind of work your way from there.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I will say it really just depends on how much you want to invest. And so my recommendation is if you have like a a standard DSLR and you've got a lens, um, of some type, the, you know, again, the wider, the aperture, the lower, the f-stop the better um the or i guess technically that higher the f-stop, i always get the f-stop mixed up <laughs> like i said i'm more of an intuitive like my eye shooter not like a like the technical shooter but um i would say just go out and try it i think the most important piece of equipment for you to have is a tripod because if you have, you cannot hold your camera for night sky photography because the camera shake will be too um, detrimental to your photos. And the other thing is, even if you do have a tripod, sometimes if you're like walk, if you're like walking around your camera while it's shooting, you it can actually blur your photo. So like it could be really sensitive. So I'd say the number one thing is to have a tripod. The number two thing would be to have a remote release so that you don't have to touch your camera because touching your camera can also cause shake and all of that. And that's when you're gonna not get such clear pictures. Um, So those are the two biggest items. Um, Honestly, so I have a Sony and um, I have a a mirrorless camera and it comes with this really cool app that I can actually use my phone as a remote shutter release. So that is just something to look into. I also, when I got my camera, the kit lens is like the best lens. Like when I think about what I take photos of, typically it's typically documentarian style. So I have, I think it's like a a 24 to 55 maybe. And that it came with a a cheap remote. Like it, it was not expensive at all. So that would be the first and second items that I would say are a must have. That way, even if you don't have the right lens that gets like all of the Milky Way, you can go out and start trying it and just see what you get. Because if you are going to like the, the cost of like having a lens that will really, really get the Milky Way and all the stars is kind of expensive. And if you are like, yeah, I love the idea of this. And then you don't do anything with it. It's a lot of money to, it can be a lot of money to spend. So my recommendation is use what you've got, get a tripod, get a remote shutter release, and then try it and just mess around and see what you get with your settings. And then from there, you can kind of up your lens game. And again, I went with like the cheapest well-rounded lens that you can get. Um, Because again, I just wasn't sure like how serious I was going to get with this great advice um
0: have you upgraded anything
1: since since that lens (laughs) no i haven't because it really is it's doing everything that i like it to right and true (laughs) yeah so it's just i i and when see the the other thing is there are these awesome like sony g lenses that go from like 1.8 all the way to like super zoom land and they're super expensive but when I am going out to shoot night photography, that's the only thing I'm shooting. So to me, it doesn't really matter if I have all of that in one, like maybe just for your sake, like it's easier to carry one lens around, but yeah, it's like not super necessary. I think you can get some really amazing shots with not a lot of equipment.
0: So awesome. I think that's important for creators to hear is that like work what what you have and then just kind of build on it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm a huge, so in my marketing life, I am very big on data-driven decisions and doing more of what works and less of what doesn't. And so it's like, start small and like, go for it. You can't, you can't be scared to start, but you can also start like at a reasonable level and then amp it up as you need to. So around
0: this time, um, because this will air in August, is a really perfect time to go out to the national parks or to find a close uh, dark sky area and try this out, right? And try to get the Milky Way in your pictures. Perfect. Um, I know that there are a lot of just events, um, astral events that happen, you know, throughout the year or even that happen um, every few years and that are you know once in our lifetime is there any event that you want to try to capture one day
1: <laughs> I am not good with the like astrological events but I yeah it would be super cool to get a meteor shower I think I um in a couple of my photos you may see what looks like a shooting star which I'm fairly certain it's actually just a satellite but it's kind of it doesn't you can't really tell the difference. <laughs>
0: you're like it's it's far (laughs) enough
1: it could be anything it could be anything yeah um but yeah I think a meteor shot I just saw a photo that had it just looked like um there's this movie like some kind of space movie where there's like these just like it's like the arrival of like of like war of the worlds or something to earth or I can't even Oh, maybe it's uh, <laughs> Transformers, like when they drop in from like the the sky. <laughs> this and movie, it, I'm thinking it's like <laughs> Transformers. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's Transformers, and okay. Also, side note: if you're looking for lyricless study music, this the Transformers score soundtrack is just the most incredible thing ever. Um, a random fact. But it, yeah, it was kind of like that. It was um, it was this. It, it kind of reminds me of that, like where they're just kind of pew, like, and I would love to capture something like that. I think it would be very cool.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. I figured that that would be something because I don't know much about any um, cosmic or astrological events besides just random meteor showers. And then um, Haley's comet, which happened, yeah. I think, once every like 80 years or 72 years or something weird like that. Yeah. So I didn't know if you had looked into anything else more than that.
1: No, honestly, I'm just like, for right now, I'm just so obsessed with the Milky Way. I just want to capture it in every essence that I can. Yeah, I mean, it's gorgeous.
0: It's so, so
1: cool it makes you feel small. Like, I think it just helps put a, you know, it helps put things in perspective too. Cause it's like, I think my problems are so big. And then I'm like, wow, the, you know, space is out there and we're just tiny blips.
0: And then it makes you freak out even more because then you're like, (laughs) oh my gosh, we don't even matter.
1: I know. I know. Yeah. Getting real, real meta. (laughs)
0: um so other than astrophotography or night sky photography um what is one reason why you travel and this is going to be our last question
1: yeah well that's an easy one um I and it's very similar to your mission I think is just ongoing learning and um looking at and getting new perspectives and you know connecting with other communities and cultures and experiencing things that are outside of my own bubble. And I think it builds empathy. It degrades that otherness wall that I think, you know, is very prevalent in today's culture right now, especially, um, you know, I think people are operating a lot out of fear because of the unknown. And they don't really know how to, they don't understand it. And so, There are some people that want to try and understand it more and they'll learn, but there are some people whose response is just like automatically to go to fear, fear of the unknown. And sometimes that can manifest as violence. And so I just believe that getting outside of your own known and understanding that we're all a lot more alike than we are different is so valuable. Like I, it is, it teaches you so many different things. I just recently had a conversation with. Um, a speaker and an author named Gaver Tully. And he founded this school in San Francisco called the Brightwork School. And it's all about letting kids be kind of the leaders of their own education and tinker and try different things. And he was talking about this idea of tacit knowledge, which is very hard to quantify, but it is some of the most valuable knowledge that you can get. And it kind of creates this intrinsic motivation to be a lifelong learner, And so I think travel does that, Um, and it's just, I'm very, again, very privileged and fortunate to have been able to travel and study abroad, but I learned so many things I couldn't have learned in a textbook.
0: So well said. I mean, just if we could grade these, if this was like an essay, Megan, you would, you know, just with flying colors
1: <laughs> well thank you um, no, <laughs> I but... didn't even study <laughs> <laughs> you don't
0: have to you're a natural um, oh, no I, I love that and I love um that part where you say um you know we're more alike than we are different and it's so true so true um at least I think it's true but um so awesome. Um, Martha, sorry. I'm like just rambling. (laughs) I definitely agree that we are more um, alike than we are different. And I think that traveling really does, um, showcase that, but I do want to just mention that we are different and we have to celebrate those differences instead of making us kind of pull apart from each other.
1: Yes. No, I absolutely, but yeah, I absolutely agree. It's not that we're all the same. It's that we're all different and we celebrate it in that sameness of being different, <laughs> I
0: guess. <laughs> I get it's
1: you. It. I get you. There's like,
0: I feel like we all have, um, I don't know, a similar, like, we all just kind of want happiness and, you know, it, it. It's just a different type of happiness. And we all do different things. And, but at the end, we're all, we're all people and we're all human. And yes. Anyway, I feel like I'm getting too philosophical (laughs) and sometimes I can't articulate what is in my head. I get it. I get it. No, but travel does do that. And I celebrate people that travel and people that want to travel. And
1: even like, you don't have to go too far from your house to just get a different perspective. A hundred percent. And that is such an important thing to bring up as well. It really doesn't have to be far internationally. I mean, during the pandemic, we went down and stayed with my in-laws in Indiana. And I basically I felt so overwhelmed. I just kind of turned it inward and I did a really cool study of I just took a bunch of pictures of like leaves and bugs and puddles and all kinds of things. And then I laid them out in a rainbow. And it was just so cool. Cause I just noticed it made me so much more aware of things around me. Um, and you're absolutely right. You don't have to go far to get the benefits of it.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show and just sharing your knowledge Um, I'm eager to get out and try to capture the Milky Way. And I'm definitely going to be practicing and I'll head over to your website to kind of get more tips because um, practice makes perfect, right?
1: (laughs) It really does. It, honest to God, it really like you, you just got to keep trying it. And I will say like, it is, Nothing's easy at the beginning, but if you really are passionate about it, just stick with it. As always, I am so passionate about education and helping other people. And so, like I said, I'm always open to help, answer questions, anything. Um, But thank you both so much for having me. I absolutely love the mission of this podcast, and I am very honored to be a guest.
0: No, thank you. We wouldn't have it without awesome guests and awesome listeners. So we appreciate you so much. Love it. Um, Megan, for all of our listeners, where can they find you? Where, where can they get more information about you and all your tips and all the good absolutely. stuff?
1: Absolutely. Um, I would say probably the easiest place that I'll be the most communicative. You can absolutely ask me questions anytime is Instagram. My handle is moderately excited. though so it's a big tongue in cheek joke because I'm very excited. I'm like, Super excited about random facts and dad jokes and bad puns and all of that. Um, and then my website, meganzink.com is where I have photos. Um, actually, I have a ton of them for purchase as well. If, if anybody's interested, um, my my old blog, I say old blog because I'm just trying to work a lot more on color and curiosity, but old ones, moderately excited.com. And then my new one, colorandcuriosity.com, is definitely where the party's at definitely building that out. Um, I'm going to have a lot more new and exciting things happening, um, a podcast and, and all kinds of stuff. So I was going to say you you have a podcast too. I do. So yes, that? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's called a wider worldview and it examines the power of travel as an experiential learning tool and an empathy building tool and sort of discovers how we can understand that power of travel and also even make it more accessible for students and, and other people to experience as well. Well,
0: I can't wait to check that out. And I know Janine can't wait either. Yeah, so it's, it's very exciting to hear it.
1: It's, it's on a new app called Fireside, um, which is a really cool live podcasting app that is going to be very interesting um, and different. So, if all the information is on my Instagram. So I would say start there. Moderately excited.
0: Absolutely. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you. See you, w- See
0: you guys. Yes. <laughs> See you. Bye. 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 That's our episode. Please remember to subscribe and follow for new episodes dropping every Tuesday. If you enjoyed our show and our guests, please feel free to follow us on Instagram at oh Podcasts. At the Wild Explorer and at Martha Gets It. And please feel free to share this with your friends and leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Bye. Bye.
1: To